Good morning. Isn't it good to have, to be here in the house of God today? Amen. I wanted to start early for you a little bit this morning. We have a lot of things that's coming up that we have that's going on. There's an insert that's in your bulletin, so make sure that you have this insert so that you can have the information that we have. Um, Easter is coming up really quick. So on the 13th of April, we will be having our Seder meal. That's a Wednesday night. So we will be going through the Seder meal, but then we'll have a fellowship meal immediately following the Seder meal. So come prepared for that. Uh, we will have a Good Friday service this year. The Good Friday service starts at 7 o'clock. Okay, so come and be a part of that service with us as well. And then on the 16th, we have the Easter egg hunt. So we need candy and stuff for the Easter egg hunt. My, you know, the basket is still not full. Oh, is it full now? It was this morning. It's not full now. So <laughs> we need, we still need more, uh, you know, candy for the Easter eggs. So that is on the 16th of April. And then, of course, Easter Sunday is the 17th of April. And this year, we are going to have a sunrise service as an SON service. S, yeah. But it's at 7.30. And this is going to be a completely different service. We are going to praise and worship God. Uh, as the sun rises, we will rise and our voices will rise with praises to Him so come and be a part of that service. We don't know if it's going to be inside or outside yet, but we do know that it's going to be at 7.30. Okay? So come and be prepared for that service, and then we will have our regular service at 10.10 uh, for that Sunday morning. So that is Holy Week. Now something that is coming up that I am going to need your help and all the support and stuff with on October the 1st and 2nd, we will be having a celebration service. Now, this celebration service, there's going to be a concert Saturday with dinner following the concert. Sunday, we will have a special service, and then we will go into revival after that, uh, you know, uh, the first week of October. So come and be a part of that. But this is our 86th year of in existence as Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene, and it will be our first month and first year of being debt-free. So we are going to celebrate the work that God has done, but yet we are going to celebrate in anticipation the work that He is going to do in the years to come. So this is important. So there's things that I would love to see and love to happen prior to this celebration service. It has been, I'm trying to do the math now, it's been since 2003 since the exterior of this church has been painted. If we're going to have a celebration service and we're going to call everybody to come back, I think it needs to look pretty, right? Inside looks beautiful. 
Okay, so we're going to need to paint the outside of the church. We're going to need help with the yard and making sure that the flower beds are up to par or up to snuff or that they look good, however you want to say it. Uh, you know, so anybody that wants to come and take care of the flower beds and stuff, please come. Okay, if somebody gets to it before you get to it, then don't complain about it. Just praise God that you don't have to get on your knees and do the weeding. Okay, so, you know, but it needs to be done. Yes, ma'am. Tuesday at 1 o'clock. There you go. So there's a group of people that already plan to do some work on the flower beds. Tuesday at 1 o'clock. Come and be a part of that. This is a special time for us. Uh, you know, I don't know if any of y'all have ever been involved in a church that has been debt free. And the freedom that it gives us to be able to move forward in the ministries that God has for us to be able to move forward in is tremendous. So this is an exciting time in the history of Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene. So let's make the best of this. Now, this coming Wednesday is an important Wednesday as well. Dr. Richard Tompkins is going to be concluding his uh, class that are his talks on apologetics of the truth. And he is going to take us into uh, the cross, right? It's the cross, okay? And he is going to give us all the evidence that points to why the resurrect or why the cross and we can truly know that that happened uh, you know so that is this Wednesday and that starts at seven o'clock okay so this Wednesday at seven o'clock and Miss Jeannie has an announcement Well, we all know that uh, we're in the midst of our campaign for the world missions. Um, our theme this year is, let me tell you about my Jesus. Well, our missionaries, you know, depend on this money to uh, do the work that they do. And one of the projects that they work with and reach a lot of lost people is the Jesus film. Jesus film is, uh, the story of Jesus, but the unique thing about it is it's in everybody's language. They do it if they're working with Chinese, they do it in Chinese, different uh, languages in Africa, everywhere they have this. And I have a story called Ransom and Redemption. It's uh, about the Dominican, I mean, excuse me, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Thousands of innocent people are kidnapped for ransom each year in the DRC. Tragically, many victims do not live to tell of their encounter. Even fewer make a decision for Christ as a result. However, Roger's harrowing story will surely remind you of how God still works in remarkable ways. Roger, a farmer, was returning to his house when he encountered five men armed with machetes and guns. They demanded money from him, but he didn't have any money on him. 
So the men kidnapped him. Roger and 12 other victims were filled with fear and forced to sit in a grotesque, grassy hut deep in the jungle. The rebels contacted Roger's family and told them that they would only let him live and release him if they gave them $2,000. His family didn't have much money, so they were trying to raise and borrow funds in hopes of seeing Roger again. We were in a desperate situation, thinking only about death. We were told every day that if your relatives don't send the money, you will be killed tomorrow. These moments weren't so, were so stressful. Days turned into weeks, and each day in captivity seemed more and more dire. On the 12th day, on the 20th day, the unimaginable happened. DRC, DRC team number 26 did not know that there was 13 people in captivity, but by God's grace, they decided to show the Jesus film in a location that happened to be near that grassy hut. The rebels were drawn to the film, watching it from start to finish. The message of John the Baptist calling people to repent and invite the Lord into their lives greatly influenced them. Immediately after the film, the rebels covered their victims' eyes with handkerchiefs, took them to the main road, and let them go free. We don't know what made them want to watch, but we know it is the way the Lord used to free us, Roger said. They said they heard the word of God and were convicted about their deeds. They heard a voice telling them, accept the Lord today and you will be saved. Before being kidnapped, Roger was a nominal Christian, only attending church sporadically and lacking a personal relationship with God. He reflected on how the experience transformed his life. Now, I know our Lord is a saving, loving father to be trusted. My faith has grown and I am ready to serve the Lord all the days of my life. The transformation does not stop there. Generations of Roger's family will hear the incredible story of the God who saves. The experience showed us that the Lord is still in control and always taking action to free people. This causes us to serve the living Lord as he is alive and should be served and glorified. Roger's testimony has also renewed DRC team number 26 commitment to the Great Commission. Just imagine if we would have just skipped the showing of the film that month. This testimony has encouraged us to continue doing what Jesus has called us to do. We are his ambassadors. We are ready to go wherever he sends us. And of course, we can't all go, but we can all do our part. This offering is part of it, and of course, prayer is a large part. So we need to each do our part for the world evangelism. Thank you. Good morning. Let's go ahead and stand as we get ready to worship and give praise. Aren't you glad to be in church this morning? So let's continue to worship and show the joy that he has given us. 
and continues to fill in us. We worship. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy As we come and praise him in his house.
for his glory. Amen. Amen. So we're going to try to, if you haven't caught it yet, we're trying to spread this joy. We're supposed to spread it like wildfire because it's supposed to rain inside of us and we're supposed to show it to everyone around us. So we're going to go ahead. If y'all didn't get uh, hyped up from the first one, we're going to try to hype you up again. So everybody start doing this. Yeah. Stay with the beat. Ready? I think y'all know this song. Ready? I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow inside. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. I wondered so aimless a life filled with sin. I couldn't let my dear Savior in. Jesus came in like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. For my own, just like a blind man that God get back inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. And I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Yeah. 
worship, we're supposed to bring our joy and everything that God has given us to the house of the Lord so we can praise and glorify for all that he's done for us. So let's continue to worship and not only sing it with our breath, but let our movements and let our bodies and our light shine to everyone around us. So let's continue to worship as we give it all to God. Amen. times a thousand times I've failed still your mercy remains and should I stumble again still I'm caught in your grace everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all things Of all else, my purpose remains. The art of losing myself and bringing you praise everlasting. Your light will shine when all else fades, never ending. Your glory goes beyond all fame. In my heart, my soul. My heart and my soul, I give you control. Consume me from the inside out, Lord. Let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. You will. all else my purpose remains the art of losing myself and bringing you praise everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond my heart and my soul I give you control consume me from the inside out Lord let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out everlasting everlasting Consume me from the inside out, 
Lord, let justice and praise become my embrace to love you from responsibility as Christ's followers to bring them to the cross. As we open the altars, dear Lord, help us right now. Give us those names of those loved ones who are hurting, who don't see their lives that are wasted. It's a shame. We spend all year getting ready for something. God's been there the whole time, just waiting. Let's invite him into this place, for the Holy Spirit is surely welcome here. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. No thing can compare, you're our living hope, your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves. When my heart becomes free and my shame is undone, in your presence, Lord, Holy Spirit, it's Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. 
tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence something this morning <clears throat> I, I know there's I know there's ailments and there's a lot of things that's 
that's going on. Um, but uh, Jackie had a uh, doctor's appointment this week, and they went in and uh, checked some things out, and she didn't get the news that we wanted to get. She didn't get the good news. So what I would like for us to do, and as the ladies are coming up, I would ask them if they could kind of step back for just a second. I'm going to ask Jackie to come up here. I, I don't know about you, but I really sense the Holy Spirit here this morning. I'm going to ask Jackie to come and to sit right up here. And I'm going to ask Marcus if Marcus will help me. And I want to, Marcus, I want us to move this, this end of the altar out some so that they can walk around and get here with Jackie. Okay. There's, there's times that God just simply wants us to come and sit in his presence and just simply allow him to bask himself on us and love us and strengthen us. And that's what we do this morning. For those of you that are standing, y'all go ahead and sit in the presence of God where you are. And Travis, I'm going to ask that you and Onyx go ahead and make your way up as well. Because this doesn't just affect Jackie. It affects Travis, Onyx, and Zach. Um, Mom. You know. Um, it affects us all. So we sit here with you today. In the presence of our Savior. In the presence of the one that holds everything together. In the presence of the one that created everything. And we humble ourselves here before him. Thanking him for all that he has done. Thanking him for his son and for salvation. thanking him for that relationship. And then we say to God today, I need your healing touch. I know that you can. I know that whenever the next time I go to the doctor that you can make it to where there's absolutely nothing there. And that's what we ask for. And we pray this to a God that says, I hear your cries. He hears our hearts. And the God that hears is the God that responds. 
And he's also the only one that can take care of what we ask for him to take care of. Dear Heavenly Father, God, right now, God, we put all of these things into words. And God, we say, Heavenly Father, Abba, Father, I ask you today, God, that you would touch Jackie and that you would heal Jackie. God, that you would remove this spot from her right now. God, we pray this and we claim that you hear, that you heard, that you were sovereign, and God, that your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. sit in the presence here if y'all would like to or he's all over surely the presence of the Lord is in this place I can feel his mighty power and his grace I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely. Presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel His mighty power and His grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. As we continue to worship, you've got your elements. My Savior represents. Prepare. Jesus told us that we needed to partake of this sacrament often and as we prepare our hearts for this today we take the bread and this bread represents the body of our Lord and Savior that was sacrificed for us. That was beaten for us. 
Jesus took the bread and he blessed the bread. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, dear Lord, for this time. And God, I thank you for what this bread represents. I thank you for your Son, for our Savior, that came to this earth and that died upon the cross so that we would be able to have a right relationship with you. Let me break it and let's eat. And then just Jesus took the wine. And he said, this represents my blood that's shed for you. This is the new covenant that I give to you. The covenant that frees us from our sins. Dear Heavenly Father, again, we come to you and we thank you for what this represents. God, we do thank you for the cross and we thank you for your son and for the death upon the cross. But God, there would be absolutely nothing if it wasn't for the resurrection and for the power. God, we thank you for that. And we drink. I can have the ushers to make their way forward. We're going to continue with our praise as we give back a portion of what has been given to us. We thank God and we praise God for this. Amen. Praise God. I would like for you to turn into turn your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. I'd like for you to turn to the fifth chapter and then go all the way down to the end of that chapter to verse forty eight. 
But you are to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. This week I had the opportunity to go to Spartanburg for class. And we had class on Friday evening, and I left that class Friday evening. I was like, well, you know, that was pretty good. That was, that was interesting. Didn't really have too much information to go on. I'll, I'll, you know, it was only a, oh, wow. It was a four-hour session. Yeah, I'm kind of that way. It takes more than four hours for me to grab a hold of things. So I go back the next day and Saturday morning, uh, you know, we get there and the very first speaker that comes in and steps up and he, he says some words that I don't know about you, but whenever I hear them, I often cringe. And he says, I'm going to talk to you about systematic theology. Okay, now there's, there's problems, okay? So you have theology and then you have systematic that's in front of theology. So this is someone that has taken their precepts and their ideas and come about it into a theology. Now my class is on biblical counseling. And I'm like, why do I need systematic theology to do biblical counseling? I could have handled theology. Give me theology of the scripture, give me theology of God, but systematic theology. I had a rough day. Now, if you thought the four hours on Friday was a lot, wait until you have eight hours on a Saturday. And the very first one got me into a place I didn't need to be in. I, I, I listened to this gentleman talk about this, and I began in my heart to try to defend my beliefs in my denomination. Now, this really does have something to do with the message. I'm not just simply telling you this. Because whenever we look at this passage of Scripture, there's a lot of us that look at this and we see this word perfect or we have a translation that would say be perfection or half perfection, or in perfection. And we see that, and whenever we see that, we bring a lot of baggage to it. And we have problems with the context and this passage of Scripture. Now, what's the problem? The problem is, is that whenever we hear this word perfect, we're like, well... <laughs> I'm far, far from perfect. But this is a command that's commanding me to be perfect as my Father is perfect. 
So how am I going to handle this? What, what am I going to do? So let's, let's put ourselves into this passage of Scripture and answer that. How are you going to handle or deal with this passage of Scripture where Jesus commands us to be perfect as His heavenly Father is perfect or our heavenly Father is perfect? Some of us get bogged down in the details and the worries. Some of us look at it and say, oh man, I am so far gone that there's no way that I can be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Some of us hear these words and we say, that's unobtainable. That's ridiculous. Don't understand how anybody can profess or can say that they are perfect as their heavenly father is perfect. So what we do with this is, is we run away from it. How many of you would read this passage of scripture and joy on your own? Right? We, you know, this is one of those scriptures. We, we read through this and we get to the end of chapter 15 and we're like, oh, you know, you could have done, or five, we could, you could have done without putting this passage in there and everything else would have been okay. Why you got to put this in there? What are my thought processes during class? was, you know, I'm disappointed that the Holy Spirit that you talk about is not strong enough to do what God is asking us to do. Woo. Wait a minute. He's not strong enough to do what he is asking us and commanding us to do. So has Jesus put something in Scripture? Has he spoken something? Has he said something here that he really doesn't think that we can do? And he doesn't mean for us to do that. He just put it there and said, good luck. He gave us the Holy Spirit... And the Holy Spirit is powerful enough to do what He commands us to do within us as long as we allow the Holy Spirit to do it. Amen. But we're afraid of it, so we run from it. We have all of our baggage that we bring to it that says... I have failed over and over and over and over again, so how can I be perfect? Mm. Now, I, I'm going to go ahead and say this because I, I believe that this is a command that He gives to us that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can meet this. We can be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect. 
And we can do it here on this earth. It's not whenever we breathe our last breath that we all of a sudden become perfect. And he's like, oh yeah, you did it. You made it. Woo! We're supposed to be perfect for the people that's here with us. Oh, but wait a minute. Never, ever, ever, ever take one passage of Scripture, right, and set it alone, and then say, this is what it means. We have to look at the context as in where it was put and written. To be able to do that, we have to go back to the Gospel of Mark. Or, I'm sorry, the Gospel of Matthew. And we have to look at all of it. We have to take the whole Gospel and put it within the Gospel as in where it needs to be. But then we also take it in and we say, okay, it's part of chapter 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which starts off with the Beatitudes. And whenever we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we get this understanding that Jesus is coming here and Jesus is giving us and he is saying, this is how believers are supposed to live, right? And then at the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8, Jesus comes down and shows us and lives out what he talked about in chapters 5, 6, and 7. So we have this context that we have. We bring it into this. And whenever we see the Beatitudes, we get this understanding that Jesus is kind of taking this world that they're in and saying that if you're going to be a believer and a follower of mine, you've got to look at things differently. It's not the rich that are powerful. It's the poor in spirit. Right? He changes all of these things. He says you need to look at these things differently. He is introducing the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of man. The kingdom of man is this way, the kingdom of God is this way. we see where he goes in and he says, the law says that you shouldn't murder. It's not enough to just avoid murder. As believers, we should show mercy and compassion to everyone. Show mercy and compassion to everyone. And then he says, the law tells you not to commit adultery. And then he goes a little further, he says, but really, if you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. Lust deals with this making everything 
an object that I can now purchase or own or obtain. If you lust after a woman, she's no longer a woman, but she is an object for you to obtain. She is someone or something for you to conquer. Lust. I'll let y'all know this. Lust can never and will never lead you to love. Lust will always lead you to owning or possessing something. It won't lead you to love. But see, he, he goes on further than that and he goes in and he talks about divorce. Now, back in those days, whenever you had divorce, all the man had to do was he just simply had to present the woman with a certificate of divorce and he could leave her. Now, that means if you burnt my toast this morning for the fourth time this week, I could give you a divorce paper and there's absolutely nothing you could do about it. It deals with the hierarchy and, and I, you know, I'm much better than you. So you have to bow down to my commands and to my wishes. And Jesus says, that's not the way that it goes. He talks about marriage and he talks about how marriage is supposed to be a husband. Uh, you know, a wife is supposed to submit to her husband, Right? But then we forget that he says, husband, you're supposed to submit to your wife as God has submitted or as Jesus has submitted to the church. And what did Jesus do for the church? Jesus gave his life for the church. So in other words, men, you're supposed to give your life for your wife and your wife gives their life for you. So both of you are giving up everything that you have and everything that you want to make sure that they're happy. To make sure that they understand and that they realize the love that God has for them is the love that you have for them. Amen. And that it's a sacrificial love. That's male and female. Women, your, your husband is supposed to be the best thing uh, you know, since sliced bread. Men, your wife is supposed to be the best thing since peanut butter. The thing about it is, is that whenever we look and whenever we talk to our spouses, it's supposed to be as if we're looking and talking to God. And that love that comes forth in that, and the respect and the adoration. I spent a little bit too much time on, on that one there. Let's move on. Let's go on to the next one here. Because he even goes in and talks about making an oath. Uh, and when he says, you know, really, don't make an oath. It, it's not that you shouldn't use God's name to make an oath, as in, uh, you know, by God's name, I'm going to do this. 
Wait a minute, I wasn't supposed to do that. It's an illustration. We're not even to make an oath in our name. And why is that? Because we should be a man, woman, or child that whenever we say something, that's exactly what it means. So I shouldn't have have to make an oath as in I promise that I'll be there. I promise that I'm going to do this. All we should have to do is say, I'll be there. Or, this is what I'm going to do. I don't know if any of y'all, how many of, how many of y'all had, had the opportunity to experience your grandfather buying a car. I was there whenever my grandfather bought his first El Camino. Man, one of my favorite cars, trucks. An El Camino. My grandfather wrote out a check for that El Camino. Signed it. Gave it to the salesperson. Salesperson made the mistake of saying, let me go verify that the funds are there. Oh, wait a minute. We didn't drive off in that El Camino. If my word is not good enough. Right? See, it's, it's different. The, the whole thing is, is that you know, you know, Jesus came and he gives us this and he says, the way that you're supposed to live is different than the way that this world is supposed to live. And then he gets to verse 43. It comes into this close context that we have with this. Verse 43, you have heard the law say, love your neighbor. Right? Love your neighbor. Oh, I'm supposed to finish reading that verse? And hate your enemy. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's easy to do, isn't it? That's natural, isn't it? Come on, let's all say, yeah, that's natural. The, our natural thing is, is to love our neighbor and hate our enemy. I love the people that's in here, right? I'm not so sure about the people outside. Come on. I love the people that's in here, but I'm not sure about those people that's in that building just right down there. I'm not sure about them. It's natural for us to be able to do that. One of the things that we do is that we dehumanize 
our enemies. They're no longer really human because of the things that they have done to us. Right? Come on. We we put them out there. There's something different. Wednesday night, I asked the question facetiously, you know, two weeks ago, whenever we were studying about the, about, uh, you know, the, the, the space in, uh, you know, how the creation was, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, all this and how the teacher brought us to this point that we understand that there is, everything has a purpose and, and the purpose that we have is that everything is together and it's in its place and it does this specific thing and because it's in the exact place that it's in it has life so so if there's something that is outside of that place where it's supposed to be then it can't be life now we're talking about the earth right so the earth is is, exp- is specifically where it's at and it's going and it's rotating around and spinning around and going around the sun at the speed that it has to. And the moon's going around the earth and the speed that it has to to support life. So there's life here on this earth because it's where it is and it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. That's why it's here and that's why there's life here. So I said, so there's no green men. There's no little green aliens that's going to come from another planet somewhere else. See, they're spinning too fast to be able to hold anybody on it. They're too hot. They're too cold. They're too far away from the sun. All these things, and they can't support life. Some of y'all might disagree, but that's okay. I still love you. See, you're, you're, you're not my enemy because you think a little bit different than I do. Or because you look a little bit different than I do. Right? See, Jesus goes in here and he says that you've heard it this way. And we know that since he says that you've heard it this way, that we know that he's going to give us something and say, well, it's not that way, it's this way. So let's look at this way. So he says, but I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Hmm. Love your enemy. How do I love my enemy? First thing that we have to do to love our enemy is is that we have to humanize them. We have to really look at them and say, oh, that's one of God's creations. And if it's one of God's creations, then me as a believer, I'm supposed to love them. And the thing about it is, is that if we love them, they're no more what? They're no, more, they're no longer our enemy. They're now our neighbors because we love them, because there's no difference. Racism shouldn't be in the church because we love everybody, regardless. There, there's no enemies out there. We should be talking about being unified within the body of Christ and not about segregation. All right, I'm going to stop with that one. 
First thing for our enemy is that we have to be able to look at them as they are humans the same way that we are. We have to realize that the only reason and the only way they have became my enemy is because of the way that I respond to who they are. See, in counseling, you learn this fairly quickly. Like within the first four hours. You cannot control someone else. The only thing that we can do is control how we react to someone else. You can't make another person feel the way that you feel. You can't make another person like the things that you like. They do it because they, they like it. Now, we can attempt to make them mad. And sometimes we do a fairly good job at doing that. I think this is a funny story to kind of lighten things up a little bit. Because remember, I'm the youngest child, so I never did anything wrong. So all the time, whenever we were in the car, and, and my brothers and sisters always screaming to mom and dad, he's touching me, he's touching me, I never touched him. But I got so close to him that it felt like it. But it's how they respond. It's, it's how we respond to one another. So whenever we see this and we get this understanding, Jesus is saying that you've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he says, I say, love your enemy. And then he talked about the ones that persecute us. He says, pray for them. Wait a minute, these are the people that's causing conflict. They're causing issues and they're trying to affect me. Oh, they can only affect me if I allow them. And if I'm praying for them that's trying to affect me, what do you think is going to happen? I'm going to be able to have the peace of God within me. That's going to take me through this. Oh, man, come on. We, we, we have more passages to go through. 45. And that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunshine to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. So there again, he's talking about this love and he's talking about how this love should be manifest 
in our lives and on the lives of the people that's around us and how we're supposed to treat them differently than other people treated them. We are supposed to have compassion for them. We are supposed to love them, have mercy on them. We are supposed to be peacemakers. And we see the context in which this is brought in. The context in where this is brought in and we, and we deal with this and we think about this. This is the context that we have as far as be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Whenever that perfection is brought before us, whenever he is talking about love. You've said, you've heard that you should love your neighbors but hate your enemies, but I'm telling you that you should love this and you should love this and there shouldn't be any difference in between those. You shouldn't have any enemies. So in close for you, tonight, you know, this morning, I have this quarter. Heads, tails. Perfection, holiness, love. You got it? Perfection and holiness can come together and be the same thing in love. Should we worry so much about perfection that we don't love? Or should we love more than we worry about perfection, it's a two-sided coin. This coin is worth absolutely nothing if it had a head on one side and a head on the other side. If it was perfection on this side and perfection on this side, it's worth absolutely nothing. If it has love on this side, and love on this side, it's worth absolutely nothing. But because you have perfection on this side, and love on this side, it's worth 25 cents. But let's think about that. Tail side. God loves you regardless. You, you just be you, and God will love you. You just go on. You keep living your life, and you, you do this because God is love, and there's absolutely nothing that can take God's love away from you. Okay. There's a problem with that. Because that love doesn't create any type of change. Whenever we think and whenever we talk about love, there has to be judgment in love. There has to be. You, you can't just simply, I, I wish I had confetti, throw it up and say, poof, love. Right? And that's all it is. God loves us so much that he will allow us to judge ourselves 
because we don't receive Him. Right? We either receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior or we don't. He never stops loving us. His love allows us to make that choice. His love allows us to choose not to worship Him. And if we choose not to worship Him, He's not going to stop loving us. But He's not going to allow us into heaven either. Perfection. I'm perfect. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't touch this. Right? I'm perfect. You, you can't be there. See, when, you know, whenever that gentleman got through with his, you know, with his, with his discussion, I got this feeling and this understanding that he was saying that if you don't believe the way that I believe, then you're headed straight to hell. Now, don't get me wrong. There's right and wrong. But whenever I believe that I'm the authority of right and wrong, I have taken the place of God and I am no longer allowing Him to govern my life. King me sitting on the throne. Whenever Adam and Eve partook of the right, you know, we, we can get there. So for this to work, it has to, it has to be like this, doesn't it? So are we more worried about being perfect? Or are we more worried about loving the way that God tells us that we're supposed to love? Now, don't get me wrong. Remember, I started off and I told you that I believe with the power of the Holy Spirit in us that we can be perfect as our Father in Heaven is perfect. But if that is all I am trying to do, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that it's nothing but a clanging symbol. Jesus is more worried about us loving than he is about us showing people that we're perfect. And just think, if we love the people in the way that he's telling us that we should love, won't we be painting the picture of perfection that he has told us? Because He's perfect as He's in us, right? His love is perfect as it lives within us. As we show it to one another. Perfection brings us nowhere but to legalism. Love and perfection through Jesus Christ brings us to salvation 
and brings us to being the picture and the person that God has called us to be. I'd ask that you would stay in this morning. I want you to think about this coin. Are you leaning too far towards perfection and shutting off love for the people around you? Or are you leaning too far to love and not requiring transformation that God requires in our lives? Where are you? How do you treat people around you? How do you see yourself within this passage of Scripture? Are you too far on the love side? Or are you too far on the perfection side? That's for you to see. That's for you to answer. The altar is open. If you're not the coin, look at it as yourself, as in you might be walking a little bit this way. Or you might be walking a little bit this way. Instead of standing up straight for God. Every head bowed, every eye closed, the altar is open for you this morning. I want you to look into your life this morning and be able to see Where are you? This passage of Scripture about being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you, dear Lord, for today and for this service. God, I pray, dear Lord, that we would see this and God, that we would understand that, yes, you are calling us to perfection. And the call of perfection is also in the midst of this call that you have for us to love differently, to love as you love, to see the people that in ways that you see them. God, I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to be able to walk upright. In Jesus' name, amen.